I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. Jesse, Jesse, I'm full of caffeine. Let's do a t- coffee talk. All right. Okay. Chris, I, know, I can leave then. Okay. Chris, I know Chris we got here. you scheduled for today, but can you just hang tight for... We're just going to need about an hour, and then we'll then we'll let you back into the room. All right. No, no, Chris, <laughs> you're the genius of the, of the season, the presiding mm. genius, as they say. So mm. you're the presider of yeah. this season of... I'm no presider. Liturgy guys. Yeah. I, well, we're all in this together. Yes. And where were we before? <laughs> yes. Where were we? We just did the Epiclesis. Epiclesis, right. So we're going through the uh, the Eucharistic prayer. So yes. we've got the preface acclamation, the preface text, and the pre- excuse me, preface dialogue, preface, preface text, preface acclamation, also known as the Sanctus. Okay. And then you have the Epiclesis. The calling down. The, the calling down on the Holy Spirit. And the next thing that the germ uh, uh, tells us about is, this is at number 79, the institution narrative and consecration. Yes. yes. By means of which the words and actions of Christ. So, right, we want to know the, uh, what is it, uh, the, the exact words of Christ. This is what we what we find so efficacious and actions. But what is what is what do you call um, in Catholic theology when you combine words and actions? Right. Yeah, that's true enough. I guess I was thinking sacrament is oh, a combination yeah. of uh, words and actions. Right? Our friend Jean Hani calls it the mimodrama. Mimo, like mimeograph, mimeo, hmm. mimeo, mimic, that's the same. He says it's the same drama, but in this anamnetic form. So the drama, hmm. same words, same actions. Someone is taking the role of Christ who is who's okay. authorized by Christ. And I thought of that before because, you know, the uh, Eucharistic prayer says, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. Mm-hmm, in other words, mm-hmm. Jesus did this. He authorized the apostles and their successors to do it. And now we're doing the same thing, but in the form of a rite. Nicely put. Thank you. Yeah. the, the uh, when, when Jesus says to do this, gives that command, this is the this. Not to receive communion. That's important. Mm-hmm. But it's this to, to celebrate and uh, remember the uh, the sacrifice. So. And this is why a passion play, as lovely as it is, it's not the same thing as the mass because it's not a deputed person acting in as Christ in an anamnetic way. They're just mm-hmm. reminding you in drama, but it's not a mimodrama. Mm-hmm. It's not the same drama of Christ presented uh, in this new way. Yeah, yeah. No, even though the the passion of the Christ movie uh, is very realistic, it ain't real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this thing is real. Yeah, this your popcorn real. would be consecrated if it were real, right? The invalid matter. Oh, invalid matter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to uh, Eucharistic prayer number three and Raisinets. look at this uh, institution narrative. At, no, Except for the raisinets. Uh, institution narrative and a consecration. All right. So what it says here is uh, the rubric is in the formulas that follow, the words of the Lord should be pronounced clearly and distinctly as the nature of these words requires. Mm-hmm. As opposed to mumbled and quietly as the low mass would have done. I assume that's why that's there. Mm, yeah, well. For on the uh, night he was betrayed, then there's a rubric, it says, he takes the bread and holding it slightly raised above the altar continues. He himself took bread and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples saying, 
The rubric is. Do you ha- do you have that, Dennis? I do. Take this, all of you, and eat a bit. No, no, no. The rubric part. Oh. The rubric part. He bows slightly. That one. Okay. Yeah. You do the rubrics. I'll do the, oh, I'll do the text. Yeah. Okay. So he bows slightly. Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. Go ahead. He shows the consecrated host to the people, places it again on the patent, and genuflects in adoration. All right. Now a couple of things here. Um, that when they introduce these other Eucharistic prayers, right, there's a lot of variation. But one thing that is consistent between them, and I suppose even if you were going to use Eucharistic prayer for masses with children or something like that, you would have to go back. And this is common throughout all of them, the, the words of cons- consecration. Now, one thing uh, that is a change also, one of those, which one of those words, Dennis or Jesse, is new since the council? In the words of consecration. I actually didn't know this. Uh, Is it all of you? No. Quad provobis tradetur, which will be given Given. up for you. Yeah. So in the preconciliar words, there it was it the words quad provobis tradetur, which is will be given up for you, was not a part of the the formula. Just for this is my body, period. Yeah. Halkestanum corpus meum. Oh, yeah. so was this brought into the Roman canon too? That way? Yes. Oh, yeah, wow. it's in every one of the every one of the Eucharistic prayers. Hmm. Right? right. Can I ask a question about the show, the word "show" in the rubric? Because mm-hmm. I think this is what trips people up a lot. Um, two questions. I've seen occasionally a, a priest will maybe exemplify this by like rotating his body, making sure that everybody in the church can see it. Um, and my other question is. Uh, what what does this mean for ad orientum? So if it means show, does that mean the priest should turn around? Uh, does does him elevating it, is that enough to qualify as showing? Well, that's what it was traditionally for sure, right? Yeah, that's exactly why he would. So uh, imagine <laughs> you were behind the priest or the priest was ahead of you, whichever way you want to look at it, and you wanted to see the... Uh, just consecrated host, you, I would have to lift it above my head so that the people behind me could see it. So this, and what do they speak of this as an ocular communion? So if I weren't going to go to communion, I could at least see the host being. Uh, That's uh, a band displayed. name, right? Yeah, there. I was just going to say that. that. Ocular communion. Ocular communion. No, it. that's what they used to call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what it'd be. So you would just lift it high enough that the people could see. What about the debt, like moving moving it around so that everybody can see it? Uh, well, I don't. I guess I would say that the rubric doesn't suggest that. And there's a there's a place in the germ. Uh, what is it in the '40s somewhere about gestures and postures that uh, they are to be. You're to follow what's laid down in this Roman missal and in the traditional practice of the Roman rite. So if it doesn't say it explicitly in the Missal and it's not been a part of the rite, I would say it's not in the mind of the church that the priest would do that. I wish that sentence was like read more when all this stuff was happening post-Vatican II. Because mm-hmm. that's the hermeneutic of continuity, right? That's right there. Yeah. Or reform anyway, yeah. It's on... Uh hang on, hang yeah, on. Yeah, we're hanging on because this is important. Okay. Ding, yeah, ding, gestures ding. and postures... Um, 
Yeah, so this is in number 42. And incidentally, this is new to the third edition of the Roman Missal. This isn't ah. a line that just appeared uh, in, in the first edition. This Not is brand new to the third ah. edition where it says um, uh, uh, do, 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 the gestures and bodily posture of both priest, pe- deacon, and people and ministers must be conducive to making the entire celebration resplendent with beauty and noble simplicity, to making clear the true and full meaning of its different parts, and to fostering the participation of all. Here it is. Attention must therefore be paid to what is determined by this general instruction and by the traditional practice of the Roman rite. That's what's new. That line, the traditional practice of the Roman rite, and to what serves the common spiritual good of the people of God, rather than private inclination or arbitrary choice. Yeah. Well, I remember we had a student. That's term forty-two. Pre-student at the LI who used to use that to do all kinds of pre-Vatican II things, just because it wasn't listed. So he used to keep his fingers together, and he used to pour wine certain ways, and do certain things. Mm-hmm that uh, are not considered part of the current rubrics, but the rubrics don't say you don't hold your fingers together. So he said, well, I'm going to just take the traditional mm-hmm. practice of the Roman Rite. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that legit? Well, it's, uh, I don't know the answer, but it's at least now you're arguing from, you're in the right arena to get to the answer. And it's not coming out of, well, I saw a priest do that once, or I like to do this, or something like that. Uh, I mean, those aren't criteria for making liturgical decisions, but he can make a case that, no, this is the it's it's late. It's silent. The current missile is silent. This is the traditional practice of the Roman rite. So now he can at least make a case for it. So I don't mm. know what the, the answer is. But anyway. Well, you know what else I want to talk to talk about here mm-hmm. is he bows slightly. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a kind of important thing. You know, why do we bow? There's a gesture, posture, question, all that stuff. You have any ideas about that? I have some ideas, but I don't have footnotes. I want to see what you, because yeah, you're no, the genius. Right. No, genius. I'm not the genius. Uh, uh, but at uh, Adoramus Bulletin, we're publishing this short history of the Roman Rite of Mass. Is it about as short as uh, the podcast walking through the Roman <laughs> Rite? <of> Mass. <laughs> no, this uh, this has that good old fashioned German efficiency. So uh, Father Michael Lang is writing uh, this short history, and the He's last a big one. Shot. Big shot. He, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he talked about this very thing. Apparently, this had been until about the 15th century. The priest bows, then he says the words, he shows, and then he genuflects. Had been the case in Rome, and then it changed just prior to the Council of Trent. Again, I've only read this entry like four or five times in the course of editing it, and I can't yeah. remember well, what Editing it and reading for content are two different things. Yeah. But it, it had changed, I think, so the priest would genuflect. Then he would say the words, then he would genuflect. There's a lot more genuflections that I could have some of this mixed up. But I think what's described here is at least what had been the case for you know, the early centuries. I'm not entirely sure about that. So go back and read Short History of the Roman Rite of Mass uh, episode or <laughs> entry number 15. The, the celebration of the Mass on the eve of the Council of Trent is what it's called. He speaks about uh, this okay. very thing. Well, what I've, heard, two, I've heard two things. One is that servants delivering messages would bow when they mm-hmm. gave the message so that they would know that they weren't his own words, but the words of the person who sent him. And that was why these words are being said, even though that the priest saying mm-hmm. them, that they're not his own words. Yeah, I was just going to say, what about in persona Christi, Capitis? Well, there's mm-hmm. that. Yeah, right. And then the other thing was that Christ, you know, God breathes across things to change them across the waters and so on, and that the priest is breathing across the, hmm. the elements. 
But I've never seen a footnotable source on that, so. Yeah, did you just make that up? No, I didn't, but it's pretty oh. cool, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Or are these pious uh, accretions of I don't know. types? I don't know. I mean, the bishop breathes on the chrism, and that's a legit thing. So why why is it uh, pious accretions, weak yeah. allegory type you of stuff? Breathe on me, instance? and I know what you had for lunch. <laughs> <so I don't laughs> We don't really even live in the same state. Yeah, I can smell those sardines. It's coming here, through dude. the coming through the these that's, microphones are so that's good. That's gonna be today. the next band we start, Olfactory Communion. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. All right, let's go back to uh let's go back to the words of uh of institution. Uh all right, so Dennis, you've got the uh you've got the rubric part. Go to uh, one eleven. After this, he continues. In a similar way, when supper was ended. I have the best part. <laughs> After this, he continues. He takes the chalice and, holding it slightly raised above the altar, continues. He took the chalice and, giving you thanks, he said the blessing and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, He bows slightly. Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, for which you will be which will see there I've done it. Should I start over? Which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Now this podcast is invalid. Dang it. <laughs> he shows the chalice to the people, places it on the corporal and genuflects in adoration. Yeah. You know, actually, you for a while, you could never print these words. I mean, they were so sacred. So I hope we're, we're not trying. We're not being too flippant here and talking about this. I mean, this is. It's actually fairly simple, right? He picks it up, but it says slightly above the altar. Well, it's, it's not on the altar, right? So he's actually taking that gesture of giving, right? Picking up and saying, take this, and then sort of offering. So uh, there it is. Except yeah. he bows again, breathes across the wine. And now it he doesn't, says... doesn't tell him to do that, though. Uh, well, yeah. I know. Okay. Roger, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a couple things about the words of... Uh, of uh, consecration over the chalice. Now, for this reading was right. So this addition of quod provobis tradetur was added to the words of consecration over the over the bread. No, those are from scripture, right? They didn't just make them yeah. up. This, oh, no, no, right, yeah. right. Yeah, and in fact, right. So where do the where do these words of consecration come from? From the narratives of the gospels, right? Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Paul. Yeah, Saint Paul. His uh, first letter to the Corinthians, which they say is the earliest record, right? So these are the four things, and you can, if you go to the LI, you'll or any other liturgical institute, you'll see all of these words in parallel columns, and you can see how they all how they all uh, line up. John must have been fan of the Eastern Church since he lifted up. <laughs> so now, there's an inside baseball joke, if ever there was one, huh? Now there's some words, however, in the uh, consecration over the chalice that have been removed. No. What's been removed? I don't know. The blood of the new and uh, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, the mystery of faith, mysterium fidei, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you remember that? Yeah. Removed or just moved? Move well, removed from the words of consecration and moved to immediately after. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. Sounds legit. Yeah. Well, they. I don't know. Maybe somebody knows, but the, the things I because the mystery of faith covers both of those things why would you have it in one of them why would you have it in the consecration of the wine and not the host yeah i i don't know the the the, the few the handful of historical texts i read said they don't know where it came where, where it came from 
Uh, maybe it was there as early as the seventh century. I think one of the one of the texts said. But yeah, it seemed like. All right, why why is it in there? It, it was a little unclear what uh, what its purpose was in there. Now that's not to say that just because I don't know doesn't mean there isn't a good and valid <laughs> legit reason. I just don't know. Happen to know what it is, and the, the reformers at least likewise remove this from the words of uh, consecration. Now, was this acclamation that follows, was that there in the extraordinary form? So no. probably no. if you're going to have that back, you'd want to have the mm-hmm. invitation to the acclamation, right? You need something. So the mystery of faith seems like a good reason. Right. So they, they moved it out of the words, they put it at the end and let it serve as an invitation for all to make this uh, memorial acclamation. Right. And the mystery of faith so. is a little funny, right? We just, just It's just a freestanding little five word sentence. Like the mystery of faith. It's not you know, a question. It's not a do this. It's not a please reply. Mm-hmm. It's just a statement that mm-hmm. we reply to. So what, to what is it referring? The mystery of faith. Yeah. I mean, I have a guess, but well, I mean, mystery is sacrament, right? So mm-hmm. the, it's the mm-hmm. Eucharist has just been confected and it's like here, you know, your baby son. And you just say, Oh, come, let me hold him. You know, the mystery of faith is here. Boom. On the altar. Yeah. A couple other things about here, about the formula. Uh, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. Mm. So this is in the, the accounts from Luke and um, Paul, the new covenant. See, So Matthew and Mark speak about the blood of the covenant that Moses speaks of. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of a new covenant in his blood okay, that the Lord will come to uh, to establish. Okay, And so this is kind of a reference. I mean, so this, this formula is taken from all of these four accounts and made into a single one. But it doesn't represent only one of them, but all of them, which will be poured out for you and promultis. Mm-hmm. The many. The many, right? So this is in Matthew and Mark, but not in Luke and in uh, John. Okay? And the argument wasn't whether it was all or many, right? When they were talking about translating, what does multis mean? The many, does that mean everybody? Well, what does it mean? Well... I, I was told that it was uh, Pope Benedict himself who chose many rather than all. Although I'm not sure if that's true. Is that everyone is, yeah. well, everyone he, is he, called, he but ins- only few will answer that whole thing? Yeah, so Pope Benedict insisted that Promultis be translated accurately as for many, as, as you know, which is what the words say and is, is recorded in, the, in uh, Matthew and Mark. But yeah, I think, Jesse, you're onto it too, is that, you know, Jesus won't force you to be saved. Thou shalt be saved. You have no choice in the matter. No, I mean, you do have a choice in the matter. You have to choose to become a part of the for many. Jesus died for everybody, but unless you choose to accept it, then you know, he's going to respect your choice. So that's generally how the catechism at other places uh, explains the promultis. He died for all, but not all have chosen to receive it. Okay? For the Lord, what uh, John 3.16 is, uh, uh, for God so loved his only son, no, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why? So that those who believe might have mm-hmm. eternal life, right? Right. It's not just a matter of sending his only son. It's so that people could in turn believe. And this last line, for the forgiveness of sins, that's in Matthew only. It's, but it's not in Mark or so the rest. So it's kind of an interesting, uh, if you get a chance to do this, um, you know, see how all of these uh, line up. And this last line, do this as an... Anamnesis. Anamnesis baby. of me. 
Okay. All right. So after that, uh, so all that line. So then there's this mystery of faith, which has been moved. And then there's three different uh, options. Uh, the first one, the first two uh, are inspired by uh, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says in 1126, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. So the first two options are adapted from that. The third one seems to come from the Gospel of John. This is, uh, I think, the account of the Samaritans coming to meet Jesus. Uh, so they come at first uh, because of the woman's testimony. But at the end, after having met Christ, they say, we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. So some, it's, it's a little bit harder to make the connections, but this last one, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Why did, why did they get rid of Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again? Uh, it was just never there. <laughs> it was never in the Missal. How it oh. got into common use, I don't know, but it was not in the typical edition of the Missal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know. They also so said it, was it wasn't really a proclamation. It wasn't an acclamation. It was just a statement, right? I mean, it's nice, but this is actual request. Save us. You know, we, we proclaim. Until you and it's a, it's a request to whom? To God. Right. Specifically, you got three choices. Well, there's only one God. I know that. The Son, right? So each of these is speaking to Jesus. We proclaim your death, O Lord. Profess your resurrection. Uh, we proclaim your death, O Lord, till you come again. Save us, Savior of the world. So they're all speaking to Jesus as if he were right there on the altar. Yeah. Imagine if, if Hungry Isaac came to you and instead of saying, I want applesauce, he said, applesauce exists in the refrigerator. It's like, well, yeah, nice, but... You're not asking for anything. Yeah. You're not yeah. addressing me. Yeah, but that so for a number of reasons, the Christ has died was just uh, you know an outlier of, uh, of memorial acclamations. It's not an untrue statement. It just doesn't. It's not liturgical. No, no, it's not untrue. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, so let's go uh, back to our table of contents, sort oh. of at number seventy-five in the germ. So we've gone through the preface. The Sanctus, the Epiclesis, the institution, narrative, and consecration, and now Dennis, we're up to that. You just said the word. Uh, do you remember? Nope. Anamnesis. Anamnesis. Oh, that Anamnes word. Yeah. Anamnesis. Okay. So uh, remember there, there was what, a pretty subtle joke there. I don't know if you know. <laughs> There's, uh, jokes liturgists make. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it was not made real by not remembering. Okay. Okay. So, right. So a mnemonic device helps you to remember things. Um like uh, like capitals, the the ones that have like the ionic capital looks like uh, uh, the ladies' hair do. Ladies' hair, right? And so it's uh, it's associated with uh, temples uh, to female saints, to goddesses, and things like that, right? Yeah, and then the Virgin Mary, if you wanted, or exactly. See, that's how I, that's how you. I remember that. That's my um, yeah. Uh, what do they call it? Mnemonic device, right? So if you forget that, you have amnesia. Can't remember anything. But if you bring that memory back. You have this uh, anamnesis, right? So it says here in the germ, the anamnesis by which the church fulfilling the command that she received from Christ the Lord through the apostles celebrates the memorial of Christ, recalling especially his blessed passion, glorious resurrection and ascension into heaven. And so after the memorial acclamation, we have this anamnesis. And so this is what it sounds like in the third Eucharistic prayer. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven. And as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you the thanksgiving 
uh, this holy and living sacrifice. Aha, that we text offer is you in Thanksgiving this holy and living uh, sacrifice, right? So it's not just, thanks God, out of here. Would that be narrative as well? Because we're kind of... What do you mean narrative? Like the institution narrative? Yeah. Oh, does the anamnesis refer to the institution narrative? Well, I was just saying that language is that, or is the narrative only institutional by nature? Uh, at it's least just, in this little outline here of uh, okay. main elements, I think by what they mean by, I, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong to refer to the, the words of uh, institution as anamnetic. Okay. But I think in this usage, it means this little post-consecratory uh, text. Right? So in the second Eucharistic prayer, it just seems like they layer on each other. That's all. Yeah, that's well, that's just it. I mean, yeah. you know, like, liturgy like life uh, doesn't always have clear uh, uh, boundaries and distinctions. There's a lot of uh, overlap. Dennis doesn't have clear boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the anamnesis, anamnesis in the second Eucharist, Eucharistic prayer. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. And in the uh, first one, let's see. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of your blessed passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven, Christ your Son, our Lord, we, your servants, and your holy people, offer to your majesty the gifts you have given us. So anyway, just see, just try to remember this next time you go to Mass, this, this anamnetic prayer that follows the consecration. Okay. Um, you know, we should have done Eucharistic prayer too. This podcast would be over by now. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we're treating we'll, this like a solemnity. We'll move it right along. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is called the oblation. Yeah. Uh, by which, so this is germ 79 in this very memorial, the church in particular that uh, gathered here and now offers the unblemished sacrificial victim and the Holy Spirit to the father. The church's intention indeed is that the faithful not only offer this unblemished sacrificial victim, but also learn to offer the very selves. And so day by day be brought through the mediation of Christ into unity with God and with each other so that God may at last be all in all. Where's the oblation in number it's three? A, it says the word oblation. Yeah, yeah, this is an easy one. So here's, here it is. So this is right after the anamnesis. It says, look, we pray upon the oblation of your church. And recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your son. And here's this overlap with the epiclesis number two and, uh, and filled with the Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you. Right. So from the anamnesis to the oblation to the second uh, epiclesis to the mystical body. At work again, right? May he make us one with you. So Christ's perfect offering is accepted by the Father. And if we're one with that offering, then we are offered. And therefore, we are transformed, divinized, glorified, and entered into the dialogue of the Trinity. Bam. Great, great transition into number uh, number G, as Chevy Chase would say. <laughs> In, uh, right, so the intercessions by which uh, expression is given to the fact that the Eucharist is celebrated in communion with the whole church, the mystical body, Dennis, which you just mentioned. Right, so this is where it goes next, uh, both in heaven and on earth. And that the oblation is made for her and all her members, both living and dead. Right. So after this epiclesis, we go into this offering to the body of Christ so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, your blessed apostles and martyrs, St. Pius X, with all the saints on whose constant intercession. 
In your presence, we rely for unfailing help. Wait, 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 wait. Where did St. Pius X come from? Well, you can insert the name of the patron saint. I thought I'd name oh, Pius X since you're a Pius Xer, Dennis. Yeah. Since uh, well, he's the, he gives the logo for, uh, for the liturgical movement in Storare Omnia and Christo. I, I do have something to share about that real okay. quick because we just had our graduation ceremony. And Dennis, do you remember what we did to our we, – we, so we had the, the coat of arms for the Liturgical Institute printed on a cake. Yeah. And do you remember what we did to the, to the motto – um, well, of course I did, cake. since it was my genius idea. Mm -hmm. Instorate omnia mm -hmm. in Cristo. So we changed to restore to the imperative of restore. So instorate. Ooh. And uh, so I gave that little spiel to the students that now that they're graduates, there's an imperative to restore all things. Mm. Yeah. So That's cool good. little story. That's good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. So can I move on from Pius the 10th? Sure. And with all the saints, oh, yeah, okay. It's going to so, be real hard. We okay, really so like then we, uh, the twelfth. I don't know if we need to. Yeah, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> all right. So then the intercessions continue. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, your servant Francis, our Pope, and William, our Bishop. I heard this one anecdote once. Uh, his priests were making a trip to Rome, and they got to celebrate mass in St. Peter's and the priest is celebrating mass. And he said with, with John Paul, our Pope, and who's the Bishop of Rome? <laughs> John <laughs> Paul. Oh my gosh. That's really funny. <laughs> so do they say the name twice? I guess they do. I think Maybe they in Rome they have a special the, line. With John Paul, your Bishop, uh, your, your Pope and Bishop. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's easy to laugh, <laughs> laugh until you're the one who has to do it. But again, right. So this is all an expression of the mystical body. You know, the Blessed Mother, the angels, the saints, the Pope and Bishop, okay? Uh, listen graciously to the prayers of this family with who, whom you have summoned before you and your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. So again, interceding for the mystical body and then to the deceased, to our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life. Give kind admittance into your kingdom. There we hope forever. Uh, we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ Lord. So kind of an eschatological uh, exclamation onto the end. Uh, hey, there was a rubric in there. You just blew over its call. Oh, it. sorry. He joins his hands. Joins so, his hands. Sorry. This is the kind so of thing seminarians learn when they're learning to say massives. When do you open your hands? When do you close them? So the fullness of your glory, he joins his hands through Christ our Lord. Good. All right. And then there's a concluding doxology. And this is the last point that... Uh, germ number 79 gives. So the concluding doxology by which the glorification of God is expressed and is affirmed and concluded by the people's acclamation through him and with him and in him, O God, almighty father, in the unity of the Holy spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. 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 No. So uh, <laughs> nailed it. How about through versus with versus in? Do you know what those mean? Why would we say that? Through, with, yeah. and M. There must be some gloss you could make on that. Me? Well, anybody. I, I don't know. You, I, oh, I, I don't assume know you know everything. Would there be an attachment to each person of the Trinity there? Or, I don't think or, so. Or a Munera Christi reference? Or a well, Christ capacita capacitates all of this, right? So it's through him we get access to the Father. But it's also with him because we're members of that body, right? So with him through his capacitizing us 
and with him mm-hmm. as the head and in him. Maybe that means in one, you know, as one with him. Well, but th- think about what you're talking about before the oblation and the about the, the, the gift in the, the giver. Mm-hmm. And so now it's not just us giving Jesus to the father, but we're actually in and part of that gift going to the father. What do you think? Yeah, I guess you could say like as him if you wanted to, if that's kind of the idea in him. Yeah. Like as, it. Oh, yeah. You're a genius, Chris. No, yeah, no, no. That, Well, how about this sense. one? How about this one? Actually, we got this question, uh, not infrequently on our mystical body tour. All glory and honor is yours. If you were a teacher and you're going to write, uh, you're going to edit your student's paper, all glory and honor are yours. Are yours. Why is it is yours? <laughs> are glory and honor the same thing? There's like implied parentheses there? I don't know. Is it is the Trinity? No, I don't think it's that. I don't know. Anyway, mysteries of the. Uh, wow. Why would you ask a question? Yeah, you set us up. To be oh, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I don't know the answer. Our question this week is why. <laughs> <laughs> there, you go. there you go. All right. In any case, um, if you're interested, go look at general instruction number 79 and review these kind of, uh, again, what do they call it? Uh, main elements of which the Eucharistic prayer consists. From the preface, the sanctus, the epiclesis, the institution, narrative, and consecration, the anamnesis, the oblation, the intercessions, and the concluding doxology. Right. Just because you can highlight them doesn't make you any holier necessarily. But the more you know about this, the nature of this prayer that you're called to be a part of, the better you can the better you can do that. It's not just, you know, holy, 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 and then 10 minutes of blah, blah, blah. And then great amen. And now we're almost done. The more you know kind of the nature of this prayer, uh, the we're gonna, better going to help you pray. You know what I'm going to do? And next time we teach the Jean Hani stuff, I'm going to take this with us and see where all these things are in his description of the sacrificial ritual. He talks about a deputed minister and it's like, God said it. You know, everything's there. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So thank mm-hmm. you, Chris. You're helping me yeah. be a better teacher. And look out sure. for our new album coming out from the band Ocular Communion sometime in the fall of 2023. Okay. <laughs> look for it. And yeah. if, you, <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't find us, uh, just sniff around for Olfactory <laughs> Communion. All right. Question time. Yes. I was told I need to be more excited. Question time. Yeah, baby. Wow, Chris. I think I'll be a manly. I'm now post-pubescent. Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Dennis? Yes. Oh, hey, Jesse. <laughs> Sorry, I was uh, busy. I, never mind. Uh, do you have a question? I want a question. <laughs> we do. We do. Is it one for me to answer? Yeah, this week we we do have, we have a question from Dennis, but this Dennis has two ends. <laughs> so so the wrong way, Dennis. My, the name uh, is Dennis, not Dennis. Well, all right. Okay? We're already off on a bad foot. <laughs> Sorry, Dennis. Uh, <laughs> Dennis says, I've been very interested in your podcast, so much so that I am interested in becoming an MC. What would be the first step I need to take in order to go about that process? Wow. I'm very excited to participate more in the liturgy. Yeah. Mm. You change lives, you guys. I don't think mm-hmm. you all do. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe you're going to change that 
his name from one end to from mm-hmm. two ends to one. Mm-hmm. You could even do that. All the St. Dennis's have one end, by the way, Dennis. So let's get on it. All right, Chris. <laughs> so this this is not like a disguised name. This is not you. No, no. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I don't know if it's question. It's, okay. it's uh, Dennis M. No, D. <laughs> Mag- yeah. Have you ever been a, an MC, uh, Dennis? For no, I don't have the mind for that. I don't. I yeah. can't remember details and stuff, so mm-hmm. I have always shied away. I need yeah. an MC in my life almost all the time. Yeah, you know, uh, so we had ordinations to the diaconate uh, on the weekend. 11 guys, you know, church, you know, the cathedral is full, you know, 40 priests, 40 deacons, all these candidates. You got a bishop there, you got acolytes. And uh, so Luke is uh, uh, works as an MC. So we work together a lot. And we were talking after the, the mass just how... It, it is really a different thing to sort of be who I am, like the Dawson Liturgy Director. I basically set up absolutely everything so that when the mass starts, I could leave the building. And everybody's, Ooh. everybody, I'm trying to set everyone up for success. Everything's lined up, all the people and whatnot. The MC then is the one that as soon as mass starts has to make it happen and has to have those um those details, as you said, Dennis. Wow. You could really throw someone under the bus if you wanted to, couldn't you? Just say, oh, everything's set up and then leave off a few things <laughs> to make them look bad. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's it, just the way an MC looks at the liturgy is different from how a liturgy director looks at it because they have to know with precision the the who, when, why, what, you know, just absolutely down to, you know, for example, how... These guys go into the sanctuary and but there's 11 guys. They won't fit in the sanctuary. So what's the best way to situate them so that they can uh, like prostrate on the floor so that ministers can come through and offer them the sign of peace? So it's the details. It really is. If you're going to be an MC, I would say you need to do this is you have to have a basic liturgical theology. All right. Because otherwise, if you just know the details you, you can lose sight of the forest pretty quickly and you just get concerned about uh, the minutiae with what it is about. And you want to be able to pray and help others to pray. So you need to have a, a general sense of liturgical theology, I think. Um, but then you, you need to be just an expert in the liturgical books, which means the missal, the Roman ritual, the uh, Roman pontifical, all right, uh, the liturgical calendar. So... The, how about this? So uh, when we had ordinations, it was the anniversary of the dedication of the Cathedral of St. Joseph, Dennis, which I know is a cathedral that you like a lot. Yes, Edward okay. Schultz, the architect. Okay. So we had, that's when we had ordinations, but that's a solemnity in the cathedral. It's a feast everywhere else in the diocese, but in the building, it's a solemnity. So how do you integrate, according to the liturgical calendar, the right for the ordination to the diaconate with the solemnity of the anniversary of the dedication of the cathedral. Yeah. What takes right? precedent over precedence? Exactly. Over what? What, what readings do you use? What orations do you use? And all of the rest. So you have to be an expert in the books, in the liturgical calendar and uh, the rest. So, um, yeah, being an MC is, I think, pretty high level stuff. You know, if, you know, if the MC got sick right before the ordination mass and they said, oh, we'll just have Chris do it. He can step in and do this. I would be panic city because it's just a different animal. Anyway, so if you want to be an MC, you got to have a basic liturgical theology. 
You have to be an expert in the liturgical books. And then some uh, supplemental things would be um, Bishop Peter Elliott has written these things published by Ignatius Press. One is called Celebrations of the Modern Roman Rite. And his most recent one is called Ceremonies Explained for Servers According to the Modern Roman Rite. Um, also for Adoramus, actually Bishop Elliott, you guys heard of Bishop Elliot? I have, really? yeah. yeah. He's going to write for Adoramus in the next month or two wow. because we're starting to publish in Australia and New Zealand. Excited about that. You don't say. Yeah. You are so, the crossroads of the Catholic world right yeah, now, I have to yeah. say. Uh, but also for Adoramus, Monsignor Mark Karen, who's a Liturgical Institute alum. He's the, what is he? I don't know if he's the chancellor, maybe for the diocese of, I think, Portland, Maine. Anyway, he's written sort of a ceremonial for priests. So you got a ceremonial for bishops, but he's written a ceremonial for priests. This was a long series he did for us in Adoramus, and that hopefully will be published soon in a book form. So these are good supplemental things that uh, can uh, help as well. So you basically have to know everything. I did a quick Google search while you were talking, and apparently yeah. the famous Father Edward McNamara, no relation, answered a question mm -hmm. about this, and he said, paragraph does he, 30... Does he spell McNamara differently? He spells it correctly, but... <laughs> with, with two N's. Yeah, two C's. <laughs> it's McNamara. Uh, ceremonial of Bishops, number 34 to 36, says what a master of ceremonies should be like. Basically, what you just said. But there's a funny oh little... My. I know, you're a genius. He should be well-versed in the history and nature of the liturgy, but equally well-versed in pastoral science. So he knows how to plan liturgical celebrations. But then it says uh, he is to speak no more than is necessary, nor replace the deacon or assistants at the side of the celebration. I'm out. He should carry out his responsibilities <laughs> with reverence, patience, and careful intention. So don't speak much. Like a master of ceremony is supposed to be kind of invisible and silent and like... Almost you should not even notice the Master of Ceremonies is there if you're out in the pews because uh, so, they shouldn't turn so it into their show, right? Yeah. Yet on the other hand, you know that there's an expert in the sanctuary who is absolutely in control of what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's, it, it is a true skill, I think, to be an MC. Cardinal George, for a while, had a Master of Ceremonies who would come with him and he, he wasn't really... So he was a priest, but he didn't celebrate the mass or couldn't celebrate, and he would just boss people around. And then, as it was rolling, he'd go outside and stand around and have a cigarette. I remember, <laughs> go talk to him because he took that role. I'm not a celebrant. I'm the master of ceremonies. And then mm. when he was off, he was off. I don't know if that's legit or not, but uh, mm. it was funny to see it happen. Mm. You could always tell when the bishop, when the Cardinal George was there because the master of ceremonies was outside the chapel smoking. Now, Chris, to, to clear up the terms, yeah. you were talking about you would get everything ready. Mm -hmm. Would that technically be a sacristan role? Well, sort of. I mean, the sacristan would take care of what's needed inside the sanctuary, but uh, I would need to find a lot of people, too. So instituted readers okay. and who's going to be, in this instance, vesting priests, for example, gift bearers and whatnot. So the sacristan would do a lot more of the immediate materials for the celebration of the mass. But the you know, the liturgy direct, at least as I go about it, is really looking at the, the largest sort of perspective. Yeah. All right. Dennis. Jesse. In, improperly spelled. I hope this uh, oh, answers one. your yeah, question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God, God bless. bless each and every one. America. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y.O.Y.O.Weiler. Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. 
Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey, Shrivam, and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. guys.